0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Women in Strength podcast. My name is Ro, and I'm your host around here. I'm freaking excited to have you join me so that we can talk all things business. Now, we're going to be breaking into topics, some really juicy conversations from things like systems, strategies, all of these foundation pieces that will really make sure you have a sustainable and thriving business, and we're going to sprinkle it and mash it up with real talk, conversations, topics, and things that we all experience as business owners. But quite frankly, I think we need to share a lot more of. So strap in, things are going to get a bit spicy around here. I'm going to be opening up into topics that, you know, they might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but the idea is for us to build fucking amazing businesses. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Women in Strength podcast. I am frothing to get started today. I have got a guest with me, and me and this beautiful guest have been trying to organize, well, it's been me, I've been the problem, um, (laughs) organize our schedule to be able to share this time together. I would like to welcome Annie Short
1: from Muscle Rider, who is going to be talking all things content. Hello, Queen. Hello and thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad we could finally get to actually having a session together (laughs) to to talk. Oh my gosh, like it was 100% my issue.
0: I was like, you know, kids and holidays and shit like that. But here we are. Um, I'm like, I'm just so, so keen. I feel like, I feel like you've kind of like just, I mean, it feels to me that you've just come into the scene and now you're like really infiltrating a lot of people that I know. Um, And it's been really awesome to watch. You show up on podcasts and show up in your content. Um, and I've just absolutely loved, love, love consuming your content. Um, so we're gonna, I'm gonna pick your brain today and like mingle around and get all those juices out. So do you wanna go ahead and introduce yes, yourself? I a can't little wait.
1: Bit? Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Um, so I like Rasheen said, I'm Annie and I have been in the lifting scene for a really long time. Hmm. Um, I started lifting when I was about 13. And started competing in powerlifting at, I think it was when I was 18. Cause my parents, I really wanted to compete before that. And my parents said, no, not until you're 18. And they said, it's not because of anything to do with your joints or your health. It's because then we can't legally stop you from doing anything. So you can go up on your own and do whatever you want then. So I, um, I grew up in a little town in Queensland and moved out of home to go study exercise science at the Gold Coast. Um, I basically chose the Gold Coast because there was a powerlifting gym there that I wanted to go to, um, and started doing powerlifting. Started competing. Um, I did the IPF. Then, when Pro Raw started offering some really big prize money, I switched over to GPC mm-hmm. and did um, Pro Raw Six, Pro Raw Seven. Um, I've done, yeah, I think about twenty-five or thirty competitions in powerlifting. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot,
0: nice. a
1: lot. Um, and a couple of strongman competitions. And then in 2019, I started my first bodybuilding prep um, and I competed over in uh, America for my first mm-hmm. comp at the Arnold's and then have done a couple of bodybuilding comps since. So that's like the lifting side. And then obviously getting my exercise science degree through that. Um, I worked as a coach through most of that um, as an adult, I've done like a few like retail jobs and service jobs here and there, but um, I think when I was about 20, 21, I started going into coaching full time. Um, I've had my PT cert since I was about 15, but got into coaching when I was about,
0: Oh my God, this is so interesting. (laughs) Very (laughs) one
1: track mind. (laughs) Um, yeah, I was like training. I found the other day, my mom had all of this stuff saved from when I was like 15 and training friends, like little invoices that I wrote (laughs) for the friends that were training on my parents' balcony with me. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so when I was about, uh, I think, 21, I went into coaching full-time at a powerlifting gym, did a year at a commercial gym, did a couple of years at powerlifting gym, started a gym with my ex, um, owned a gym, obviously had to market all of that. Mm. Um, That's when I started doing the content writing. Um, I would write sort of ghost writing for my ex because he had a lot of ideas but just sucked at putting them on paper. But the thing that I was really good at was, putting things on paper and making it sound like someone wanted to read it. Um, Then moved down to Sydney um, after we broke up, moved down to Sydney because I was offered a position to train at base gym as one of their athletes. So I kind of went down to Sydney on a holiday, trained at base gym, Bass offered me a position there and I moved down a couple of weeks later. Um, And then a couple of years into there, like being there training there probably about one year actually, um, came on board as a coach for them and then just sort of started to saying to Bass, hey, let's do some writing together. You can just talk and I'll write and it'll sound really good. Mm-hmm. So I started doing some writing for them. Then when COVID hit, obviously coaching became on mm-hmm. the back burner a little bit and it was all about like creating online content, creating online courses. So I went full-time doing that at Base Gym. So I was there for about three years in total doing uh, a little bit of coaching but mostly content um creation strategy writing and then about a year ago I decided to go out on my own and do it so I'm still working with um base and like but I've also expanded it out to other gyms and other coaches and yeah
0: wow I I'm just like sitting here I feel like I'm just like pick my chin up off the ground <laughs> like crazy that you actually got into like like, your your brain has been one track mind of, like, fitness, lifting. Clearly, it's been something from a very young age that you've just been like.
1: Yeah. Just, yeah. One yeah, time. I remember when I was, like, because my first memory was really I was in grade seven and I used to go train athletics with my brother who was in high school. And then I, I would go to their after school programs to train athletics with them and then it finished and I was like, well, what do I do now <laughs> to the coach? And he's like, uh <laughs> when you're in grade eight, you can go to the school weights room, the high school weights room. I was like, okay. And then I did that and I was like, I'm never turning back. But I remember even before that getting like exercise DVDs and saving up all my pocket money to get weights. So I I think I actually technically started learning how to lift at like probably grade five or grade six. But yeah. This is yeah. just
0: wild to me because it's like, it's so, it's just not as common for women to be, you know, finding fitness and finding that space in fitness very, very early. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the fact that it's just like ingrained, like I can see why you're just like following your nose and moving on to the next thing and all this kind of stuff. And I love now that it's you know, you've, you've really stepped into your own, but you're still doing your things with other gems. And that's obviously things that, that I've noticed, you know, people that I'm working with, you're yeah. starting to do copywriting for them. And I'm like, Oh, this queen is
1: all over it. Let's have a chat. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And I, I think as well with that, like I've seen every, I've yeah. seen the different things that have happened in the industry and I've seen the trends. Um And, you know, having been in, like, I've lived in Brisbane, I've lived in Sydney, I've lived in the Gold Coast, um, but Brisbane in particular, like my specialty really is a lot of, I work with a lot of strength and powerlifting gyms, sort of people who are niche people who aren't just general fitness Yeah, and powerlifting. I think <clears throat> in all the States in Australia, I think Brisbane seems to really be booming with it. Like there's a powerlifting gym on every corner there. And I've seen all of the different, I guess the different, the metamorphosis of, of, the fitness industry. Like I remember when I first started coaching, having to convince people that strength training was a good thing to do. Yeah. I remember walking into a weights room and the whole weights room stopping and just telling me, I think you're in the wrong place. Cause you're yeah. a girl. And I've had guys, when I was coaching at a commercial gym, guys interrupt my session and tell me, no, you're doing this wrong. If you want someone to get strong, you need to do this. And I'm like, I am the strongest person in Australia, oh, actually, <laughs> like in my weight class. So yeah. you can't actually tell me that, but, um, So I've seen that and I've also seen the cutthroat way that the industry used to be. The industry used to just be cutting other people down, competitive and, you know, and it was very like, I I would call it like a red ocean to use like a business, bit of business terminology there. Like they talk about blue ocean spaces and red ocean spaces. The red ocean spaces are the ones that are just overfilled. You can't, you can't move in that space. Mm. Blue ocean space is all about finding your niche, finding what you do better than anyone else. Mm. And I've seen the industry go from this awful cutthroat, bullying, nasty place, which it was for powerlifting about eight, eight or 10 years ago to now how it is. And it's just really exciting and it's exciting to be able to help coaches through that. Um, And that's a big part of my strategy with when it comes to coaching is helping businesses find their thing. So they don't have to compete with other people, Mm -hmm. um, and be cutthroat and be nasty. They can just do their thing, stick to their lane and help people. Mm. Um, And I think the growth of, like, strength becoming more popular means we don't have to compete for the same clients. We can just, yeah.
0: Mm. And that's such a good point. Um, You know, I got into the industry in 2013, so it was still, like, I think a couple of years later was, like, that strong not skinny kind of thing started coming out. And, like, I had started competing in 2014, so I was kind of, like, not as early as you, but like in the middle of it as well. Still early, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's like you're so right. We were just trying to convince people to lift weights then, whereas right yeah. like now it's just so not that. It's like so yeah. much more available, especially to women, which is just so amazing. I want to pull a string. So I want to talk about niching because mm-hmm. you've been in a such a <laughs> valuable position where you have seen the industry just change so much. From yeah, yeah. this really cutthroat space to, I agree with you, something that, especially in the strength scene, it's actually so open and so collaborative and so warm and all that kind of stuff. Can yeah. we talk a little bit around how you've noticed this niching change? Like, what is what have you noticed? What, what does that look like to you now? And what are you kind of talking about with clients when they're like, I need to niche now, niche down? What does that actually mean?
1: Yeah, so I guess one of the best things I can do here, like is, is give a personal example. So I accidentally, when I was coaching, I accidentally found a niche. Mm. Um, I have this autoimmune condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a genetic condition that has autoimmune effects, but it also causes pretty extreme joint hypermobility. And I just happened to start talking about it. And a lot of people with this condition are in wheelchairs or, uh, you know, it can vary from mildly, disabled Mm. to very disabled. And then there was me who'd been lifting since I was 13 Uh. doing national level competitions. So I uh, instantly attracted attention with that. I was also a coach. So I started to get athletes from all over the world and it wasn't something that probably at that point in time, I knew how to lean into fully, but I like, I just, I have this really, really weird memory of like doing a sales call with this Buddhist monk in Russia who had Ellis danlos syndrome. And this was back in like 2013 or 2014. Unheard of. That would have been Unheard like- of. Right. And half my clients were American, um, back then, which was mm-hmm. unusual as well. So I accidentally found this niche and what I did was I wasn't just in this niche because there's a lot of people with this condition. Mm-hmm around the world, but I specifically worked with people who already knew that they wanted to strength train. They already knew that they wanted to get stronger, but they didn't know how I wasn't there convincing people that strength training is good for this condition. I was saying, if you already want to know, come and join. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something I discovered ages ago. And what I found was you just aren't really short of clients. If you find your niche, um, the internet allows us to Mm -hmm. work with people all over the world. And the growing awareness of strength training means that we can kind of access a lot more people. We're not having to convince everyone. Um, The the fact that the market is really flooded with coaches now, it's not actually a bad thing. It's it's just a case of we need to all find our spot. Mm. Um, You know, if all doctors were general practitioners, there wouldn't be people to help someone who's got cancer and there wouldn't be someone to help someone who's got, you know, gastro disease or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or throat disease, whatever, there wouldn't be a specialist to see. So it's about creating a space to help people. So I think one of the biggest things is with this niche is finding the people that you want to help, that you are the best equipped to help. Mm -hmm. So with this Ellis Danlos example, I was the best equipped person to help. I have an exercise science degree. I've been coaching for years. Mm. I'm working with really high performance coaches and I've done it myself. I've got the condition myself. So find the people who you want to help who you're the best to help. Mm. Then carve out a little bit more specific in that space. So I, again, I wasn't just helping anyone with Ellis loss. I was helping the people who already knew where in the awareness cycle are they? Mm. So I found the people in the right space that I wanted to work with. Um, Then talk to their pain points, which I, again, I was accidentally doing this Mm. because I was talking about, oh man, I was squatting today and my ankle dislocated halfway through the rep. (laughs) And everyone who has LSD and loss understands it. People who don't like that's weird. Yeah. So find a way to talk to your niche that everyone who has it will understand. And everyone else is like, I don't quite get that. Mm. Um, And solve their problem better than anyone else. Mm. Um, I think niching is very important um, but it doesn't, when people say I want to niche down, it doesn't just have to be the generic things of like, which gender do you want to work with? Which age do you want to work with? It's about finding which attitudes do you like? You know, that was part of it with my Ellis Danlos thing. I really wanted to work with people who had really go get attitudes And there's another, there's another component to that as well, that they've recently come out with research that's found basically people with joint hypermobility are much more likely to have neurodivergence. So I'm ADHD and ADHD have certain personality types. So I attracted people with those kinds of personality types. So think about what personality types you want to work with, what, um, but yeah, so you want to get the internal classifications so these types of personalities, these types of attitude, and then some kind of external defining characteristics, someone with Ehlers-Danlos, um, pregnant women, postpartum women. women.
0: Yeah. People who've
1: got back injuries who've hung around and the back injury isn't just a new thing. It's something that's chronic and has stayed around for two years or more. Yeah. People who have joint hypermobility, some kind of external defining characteristic, then knuckle down on the internal defining characteristics. Mm. Then you can speak to them really, really well.
0: I love that. I love that just easy explanation of internal classification alongside external classification because I'm also hearing it's coming into my circles on my social platforms that people like niche down but don't niche down. And I think that there's been this thing for so long that niche down looks like only the external classification. You know, let's throw off that whatever client avatar looks like and that's what traditionally has been taught for so long. But niching down is not like the, the magic comes and the magic is created when you genuinely go down into that deeper internal classification and you're looking at all of those personality types and qualities and stuff like that. And I think that that has been such a misconception for so long because I'm still hearing that yeah. conversation that it's like, oh, you don't need to niche down, but then they're inadvertently niching down. They're just talking about it from an internal point of view. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah I think it's kind of, you're going to have a niche whether you like it or not. Yeah it's just about being quite intentional with that. The other thing that I'll say is like this has just been something that's come up with a few clients recently of mine with our content strategy sessions that we do is they go so hard on the internal classifications and that was that was you know I was we were going through like let's figure out these internal classifications but that doesn't necessarily lead to sales because when it helps and it helps to guide your content. It helps to give you the undertone in your content, the feeling in your content, you know, like attracts like. But there's this saying in marketing that that goes, people like me do things like this. And you want to give a really clear classification of what people like me is. So I said to one of my clients, I said, if you had a room full of 100 people and you said, okay, everyone in this room who, I don't know, feels uh, positive or negative emotion today, people might feel a bit uncomfortable putting their hands up. Or if you say hands up, who loves this thing? People might, Oh, I don't know. Hands up. Who feels like they're not reaching their potential. It's an uncomfortable thing to put your hand up for. Yeah. If you say hands up people in this room who work a nursing job with night shift, it's easy to put your hand up for. Mm. So I think that's the, that's the strength of having the external classification is you give people an easy thing to put their hand up for when you say who wants to come and buy this thing. Yep. Me. But then you also need to know that's like the overtone. Mm-hmm. You also need to know the undertone. You need to know the personality types. You need to know what they, what their desires are, what they really want. Cause there's a lot of people who work nursing night shifts who aren't that interested in exercise. Yeah. But if that's your target market, you've got to find the ones who are, and you've got to find the ones who have the same attitudes as, as the ones that you're trying to target
0: holy fuck mic drop moment honestly like that <laughs> fuck, that is good like for anyone listening stop let it like let it marinate in your brain because that is fucking huge like you know I was um oh, god I can't even remember it was months ago is I had um uh life coaches uh sometimes with the work that they do you know they are so well aware of this kind of concept that we're talking about is that a lot of people don't want to put up their hand and say i'm struggling with these things or these are my vulnerabilities because it's so jarring and can be so triggering for a lot of quote-unquote consumers that they're actually talking to the audience right and so it's like if that's all you're talking about and you're going so fucking deep with so much all the time like, yeah, that's great. And that's important, but it can actually be too much and like turn people off because they're like, Oh, is someone going to see it? Or, Oh, you know, is this person going to see that I'm following this person and then realize that that's me. And then that's, you know, all the shame cycle and all that kind of stuff. And so this big concept of what you're saying here, internal plus external, like this is fucking it. This is such a big component. Hey, Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's also like, you know, I think, I think we can go too far into this, like playing psychologist role and a psychologist is actually trained with university and with further qualifications to not go too deep, too quick. (laughs) So if we are there going, pushing, 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 some of these people might not be aware of this within themselves. They might feel uncomfortable. They haven't given you consent to talk about this kind of stuff with them. Mm -hmm. So I think having this to sort of wrap up this idea, if you've got a really clear external qualification, nurses who work night shifts, people with Ellis Danlos syndrome, um, and you're getting sales but they're not quite the right ones, go a bit deeper and figure out what this deeper stuff, what the deeper desires are. Uh, if you've got all of these deeper desires but they're not really, they're not really leading to sales, mm. find an external qualification qualifier and it doesn't have to be um your entire business that's the other thing it doesn't have to be okay well i only work with night shift workers now it can be a particular sales campaign that you run mm. for those people um and you can do test and measure you know in business they say try fast fail fast you can try it out on a particular target market if it works really well your whole business can be made out of that if it doesn't work well you can try a different target market without completely changing the identity of your business oh love, 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 love. I'm just like,
0: snaps for Annie. That shit was tight. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we know that. About- oh, that was so good. When it comes to then taking that next step. So we've, you know, we're talking about niche and then we're really adding this beautiful layer of internal slash external and, and understanding when to use them and when something might not be landing for the outcomes that we actually want in our business. Let's start to open a conversation about what we actually do when it comes to content now. So, you know, a lot of people that will be listening to this podcast, they won't be short of hearing phrases like pain points and pleasure points and, you know, speaking to needs and stuff like that. I would like to open that a little bit further. So, when it comes to creating, you know, magnifying copywriting, I personally whenever I'm looking at content and consuming as a consumer myself, like the aesthetic and the graphics are important, but I just get so captivated by the words. Like I really think you can tell so fucking much about a business, about a person by those, just the magical juices in the actual words. And I do sometimes think that a lot of business owners like don't understand or give that enough. Is Is that something that you sometimes see?
1: Yeah, I think, I think to be honest, I think there's two sides of this. Um, Something that I've realised is like I was always really good at writing, good at English when I was growing up. There were kids in the class who weren't, who just didn't understand it, who never got it, and those kids as adults may be a very successful business people. So I think understanding our natural bias, if you're a words person, you are, maybe other people aren't. Mm. So I think that there are definitely business owners out there you know, my dad was a very successful doctor. He was also dyslexic. So his ability to read and write was like, he could read and he could write, but he didn't, he didn't write very well. He didn't write in a way that, that was what he said. Yeah. And I think we're so quick to say, Oh, this person can't even spell or use basic grammar. They must be an idiot. No, there are some very smart people out there who can't. And I think that that's probably a limitation for some people, which is why smart business owners do hire a copywriter and hire someone to do it for them. Um, so I think there's that. I think that there's just a whole bunch of of limitations, limiting ideas and limitations that are in the way. Because ideally, like you're you're right, words sell. At the end of the day, you can have a beautiful website, but if there's no words on the website that are compelling and that actually sell a product, that product is not going to sell, whereas a very ugly website with the right words Mm. can sell a lot more. Mm. I think there's a lack of realisation of that. Mm. Um, Then there's some people who genuinely find it really, really hard Mm. and with limited resources it's very hard to write uh, properly. Some people just don't see things from the the perspective of the reader. I think that's a big one. Mm. So whenever I'm reading over my stuff, I always think, okay, who am I writing this to? What's their level of knowledge? What's their level of awareness? What's their level of interest in this topic? Mm. How do I match that? If they're not particularly interested in, I don't know, how to get deeper on a squat, then you need to sell them why they need to squat deeper before you start talking about squat depth. Yeah. Um and I think that's that's a big one. I actually personally only listen to audiobooks. I'm not a very good reader. Mm-hmm. And I have always thought this is a bit shameful. I'm like I'm a writer who can't even finish a book myself. <laughs> but I actually realized it's a strength of mine because yeah. I get very bored very easily. Yeah. So when I'm reading over my own writing, if I get bored, if I think at any point oh this isn't interesting to me, it gets canned and I find some more, in, more interesting writing. So that's a skill that I think seeing things from the other person's perspective is also probably key here that I've, that I've realized a lot of people don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, that's com- probably one of the more common mistakes I see coaches make as well mm-hmm. is writing it for themselves or writing it for a clone of themselves rather than writing it for the person who they need to read it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Does that answer the question? I'm not yeah, sure. That, that, that
0: makes so much sense. And it's like, you know, it kind of lends to this kind of notion of when lots of coaches get into the industry out of their own stuff, right? Like there's so many people that will have their own transformation through fitness, their own goals, their own interests, blah, blah, blah. And it's like that can be a really great catalyst and a really great starting point to help drive and, you know, relatability and all these kind of things. But there is a shift in it. There is a changing point where it's not always about you. Yeah. Um, and some people do it really well and some people never, ever make that shift. Do you know what I mean? So I think, I think that's a very valuable point is like remembering who you're writing for, not just from, you know, needs and benefits and things like that, but also the way that people engage, the way people consume, like what is going to hit your audience. Um, I didn't even know that about your autoimmune in regards to like, we were talking about like how neurodivergency is, it, yeah. is it attached to it or is it just a high
1: likelihood or just a really high crossover
0: crazy that's so
1: cool
0: Yeah. yeah okay so when it comes to writing and when it comes to starting to get into the the meat and potatoes of it all what kind of suggestions do you have or where do you help people to have some tangibles and some tips to actually get started because I know that it can be really hard for people to go okay I understand this concept internal versus external I understand my niche like, if you've got some really take-home tips to actually write some compelling content to speak to your niche, what would you kind of say to them?
1: Yeah, so I think there's there's a few things here. Um, I guess the first thing that can really make a difference is to understand the purpose of content. Mm. So I think we're kind of trapped in this position where the old school marketing ideas um, are kind of still lingering whilst we're trying to navigate a new world where, you know, the internet didn't exist when these old school marketing tactics and ideas that are lingering Mm. were first invented. So I think understanding the way that, 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 that marketing has shifted and what we actually use content for. So content marketing, there's, there's basically these two types of marketing. There's inbound marketing and outbound marketing. So inbound is another word for content marketing. Um, The other type outbound marketing is also known as interruption marketing. So this is the old school stuff like billboards, TV ads, um, you know, radio ads, things that interrupted people in their train of thought. Mm -hmm. And back in the day before every single company had access to marketing, this was something that you could do quite successfully because it was just, it was just in the moment and people were ready to buy and they, they, you know, they saw this ad for KFC and then they went to KFC. Hmm. Um, content marketing has been around for a long time it's kind of a more subtle form of marketing. So there was some old school companies like Johnson & Johnson. They came out with a, I think it was like a wound healing manual for doctors that they sold to doctors Hmm. that obviously had this like subliminal message of buy our equipment to make this. Um, The idea of content or inbound marketing is the fact that people aren't always ready to buy right now, but they will be at some point. So Hmm. there's some, some research that's gone into this. Um I think it came out of the University of South Australia that they were talking about for business to business um companies which I think they haven't actually done it on B B to C so business to business is like me I sell to other businesses B to C is most coaches who are selling to their clients who are business to customer mm-hmm. But I think that the the research would be probably pretty similar for B2B and B2C. But what they found with the B2B businesses is 95% of their potential client base, their potential target market at any given point are not ready to buy. So, only 5% of your potential target market are actually in the stage where they've got money in their hands and they're ready to buy right now. The other 95% are gathering information. Maybe they're problem aware. Maybe they're not problem aware. Maybe they are aware that they'll need it at some point. Maybe they're just completely not interested and never will be. But if we're doing all of this interruption marketing, this, hey, here's a KFC billboard coming by KFC, that hits the 5% who are ready to buy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cater to the 95% who aren't ready to buy yet. Mm-hmm. So understanding that this is the purpose of content marketing, it's to get people on board for when they are ready to buy. Mm-hmm. So it's educating, informing, building trust so that when they reach that 5% when they are ready to buy, they'll trust you to, to make the purchase with you. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really important part of understanding content marketing. So um, understanding that it's not about pushing sales in every post, mm-hmm. understanding that it's not about um, really intense calls to action. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really um important thing, um, knowing what the purpose of it is, knowing that good content won't necessarily result in instant purchases. Um, that's probably one of the first things because oh, it's very easy to get impatient when you're creating great content. You're like, it's not working yet. It's not necessarily supposed to work instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the first thing. Now, the second thing I would say is we've really got, we've really talked about this niche, um, and the idea of having these external and internal qualifier points, I think figuring out what problems are super, super unique to this niche and speaking to them is a great place to start. So this is the power of having a niche is it allows you to really hone in on those people. So if your target market is shift workers talking about some very specific things that you would only really know if you're a shift worker, mm-hmm. um, how the sleep affects you is an obvious one, but there are some smaller ones that are kind of like, I don't know, it's imagining like the powerlifting meme pages. If you show someone who doesn't powerlift a powerlifting meme, they're going to be like, I don't get it at all. <laughs> you want to find those kind of things, those kind of things that are so much like these people understand it so well. And it's kind of like, I don't really get that joke. Yeah. If, if you, you know, like imagining a powerlifting gym that's advertising itself, they're going to be like, we let you use chalk. We supply the chalk. Everyone else is like, why, what do you need chalk for? Yeah. 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 So finding those things that only your niche understands the problems and solving them, make the point, the focus point in your content, who you're helping and what you're helping them with. Um, and this kind of ties into the idea of make the customer, the hero in your content, not yourself. Mm -hmm. So an example of making yourself the hero is saying something like we're holding our gym, we'll be holding a seminar and we have the best, um, the best coaches from around the country coming to give quality, the highest quality seminar you'll ever receive Mm -hmm. versus if you're struggling with this problem, then this seminar is the thing for you. We're going to be answering these questions. You're going to understand how you're going to leave this knowing how to do X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. Um, you maybe might touch on from some of the best coaches in Australia or whatever country you're in. Um, but you're not making that the focus. So you're making yourself the guide and the customer is the hero in all of your content. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think as well, yeah, like I said before, really thinking about who you're speaking to, where are they in the awareness? Mm -hmm. ladder? What is their level of awareness? So it might even It might even be a case of you sitting down and writing this out um, and saying, okay, what kind of language do they use to describe their problem? What exact words are they thinking? And this is a great tip is to record your sales calls and record your onboarding calls Mm -hmm. so that you can get these words and use their exact words because they know where they're at in their awareness cycle Mm -hmm. and really capturing that, their level of awareness, rather than going in with your level of awareness. Um. yeah, I think those are some really good basic tips. Um, yeah. I don't know. Does yeah. that answer the question? I,
0: I love that. I think when you're this, this whole concept of like um, inbound and outbound, like, cause when you're thinking about content, I think that so many business owners and cre- and content creators will just get so focused on like the tip of the arrow, right? Like the deliverable and like, what do I need to get out? What is it going to look like? What are going to be the words? But it's like, just like anything fundamentally in business, there's actual frameworks that make sense for things and like inbound versus outbound, like when you actually just strip it away, you're like, that just makes fucking sense. Yeah. Yeah right? Like that makes sense to me. That makes sense from a marketing perspective. And it's like, I just see so much that coaches will just keep getting through this loop of like, what do I do? And it's like, come back to these core concepts, come back to what you're trying to achieve, come back to the purpose, come back to where you believe your awareness is with your audience. And that's going to help guide you to actually then create the content that is so much more seamless than only focusing on the tip of the point, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think another important one kind of on that note as well is like that idea of make the customer the hero, not yourself, mm. um, and a good explanation I've heard for this is basically everyone's walking through life thinking that they're the hero in the story and that <laughs> um, that that everyone else is just sort of secondary ca- characters, which makes sense because we are only aware of our own consciousness and we we don't actually have proof that even any of the other consciousnesses around us exist. So yeah. we are the hero in our story. So, in your marketing, if you're talking about yourself as the hero, your customers are seeing you as competition rather than as someone who can help them. So, imagine like the stories that most people have seen, Darth Vader, Star Wars, you know, the Darth Vader's the the enemy, Luke Skywalker is the hero and Yoda is the guide. So, when you're writing these stories, you're Yoda, you're not Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's yeah, that's another interesting one that I've heard. Cause if, if that's probably one of the biggest mistakes coaches make, and I, I can think of some really well-known coaches who sometimes when I go to their pages and I read their stuff, I'm like, this makes me feel like crap. Um, and why do I feel so gross about myself whenever I read their stuff? And it's like, oh, because they're making themselves the focus of this and they're, Mm -hmm. um, they're not making me the hero. And that's similar to that idea of once you understand inbound, inbound versus outbound, it makes a lot of sense. And once mm-hmm. you understand the purpose is to make the, the customer the hero, it's like, oh, I can see this mistake that I've been making or that other people have been making. And
0: mm-hmm. I can
1: see why these accounts that I'm naturally drawn to are really pulling me in because they make me feel good about themselves. Yeah, um, It's like that old thing of, um, I don't know, that like how to win friends and influence people books like that. Um I was reading one and they were talking about this the dinner party um story of someone who went to a dinner party and they were talking to people around the room and at the end of it everyone said wow that person was just the most interesting person that we talked to there they were so fascinating they were such an interesting person and then they said oh yeah well what did you find out about them and they said oh I don't know what do they do for work oh I don't know what do they do for hobbies I don't know and it turns out this person who was the most fascinating in the room The strategy that they'd used was to go around and ask everyone about themselves. Yeah. And I think coming back to principles like that is really important. People are obsessed with themselves. Yeah. They don't want to hear about you.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I literally, I like literally have like a little chill of like, this just, it just makes sense. And it's like, there's just. If we think about, I mean, it's not such a trendy thing now, but like I would say a couple of months ago, there was like this big thing of like main character energy, like heading through socials, right? And it was like main character energy and a lot of coaches like stepping into that space, either like using that or saying they're in this era or this character or blah, blah, blah. And it's not that I hated or any or anything by that means, but I was like, this is really interesting because is that what you're wanting to sell? Is it that you're wanting to sell yourself? Is it wanting is it that you're wanting to to really go down that track? Because when I was kind of thinking about my spin on it, and I actually never put a post or any content around it, I was like, I'm honestly like the best supporting actress. Like that's how I see my life, whether it's like being that person, like the guide on the side that's allowing my staff to kind of go and do their thing or my content to go and do its thing or whatever. Like that's the role that I play. And that's the role that is my life in my businesses, because that's ultimately what's going to have that connection with your audience, with the people that you work with, with your clients. And then you're right. Like they don't feel like shit because you're not, it's not all about me and it's not all about that that main person in the business. Yeah. 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 With, um, I want to go on to the next kind of question or, or talking point that's coming up. So when we think about like, posts and selling. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, you made a comment that it's like, it doesn't always have to be like direct hard CTAs and stuff like that. When you're talking about selling and giving advice about selling, can you just kind of speak to concepts and or strategies that you would be suggesting for your clients so that obviously they can let people know that there's offers out there, but it's still feeling very congruent and nurturing for the audience as opposed to those like very direct, you know, triggering kind of sales CTAs that are out there.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the best things to do in when we're thinking about this is to put yourself in the shoes of a buyer and not necessarily of buying your products because you're too familiar with the backend stuff about your product. Mm-hmm. but think about something you bought recently or think about if you were looking to, to hire a coach um, and then there's just some fundamentals that we need to tick off here. First things first, we need to make it super, super clear how to actually buy the product. Cause if it's too much work to buy the product, it's just going to be such a, just too much effort. You don't want people to burn too many calories, understanding how they can actually come on board with you. So I think that that's one of the first mm. things is you don't have to make it clear because in every single post you're saying, buy now, buy now, buy now but make it very clear on your webpage, on your Instagram, how they actually will take the first step in coming on board with you. Mm. So there's a, there's a framework that I really like, which a lot of people have heard of Donald Miller's um, story brand framework. Mm -hmm. So in that he's basically talking about this idea that stories sell really well. So in any story, you've got the, um, the hero, who want something, that's your customer, they want something, but something standing in the way, that's the problem you're overcoming for them, and you're the guide and you come up with a plan to lead them to their desired outcome and the desired outcome feels like whatever. So this is basically this idea that you're using that story um, framework in a lot of the content that you're creating. So understanding who the hero is, we've already talked about this, this is knowing your niche, solving their problem, we've already talked about this, what they want to get out of it and solving that problem. You're the hero who has a plan. In every story, the hero has a plan. Yoda doesn't just tell Luke Skywalker, oh, just go there and see what happens along the way. It's very much like you have to use the force. Let me train you on how to use the force. This is how you do it. And I think that's having a really clearly outlined plan. If Yoda told him, oh, well, you've got to go do do this, then you 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 do this, the story just becomes too confusing having a really simple clearly outlined plan. If you want to work with me, this is the first step, this is the second step, this is the third step, mm-hmm. and then it's going to feel great because this is what success is going to feel like. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's one of the first things is making it super super clear how they actually get in contact with you, how they actually start working with you. Um another really good one is to have a really strong sales process. Mm-hmm. And the sales process just has so many benefits, but basically a sales process or a sales funnel is this idea that you've got very clearly outlined steps that someone will walk through to go from being a prospect to paying you money. Mm. So a new lead comes on board and then as soon as they send you that message, they've entered your sales process really clearly outline the steps. Don't just have it that, oh yeah, we do a sales call. Then we talk about what they need. Then I give them a tour of the gym. Then they sign up. You need to have in there, We say, I send them a message to confirm this. Mm. Um, you know, have in sales you need basically they talk about this idea of before someone buys from you, they want seven points of contact. Mm. Um, you don't just go from meeting someone randomly on the street to buying from them. You need to have seven points of contact. They need to feel familiar and safe to you. So in building those into your sales process, creating this sales process where you've got uh, these points of contact clearly laid out. And I think a great tactic can be to have very early on in the sales process something complementary that they really benefit from. Mm -hmm. So it might be a goal-setting session. It might be a strategy. It might be a program brainstorming session. You know, I think a lot of coaches will put something there like, oh, well, we'll just do a sales call. That doesn't really sound too enticing for the people. Make it really enticing. Make it irresistible. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really strong technique that you can use. And from the coach's perspective, it can be beneficial. When I implemented something like this in my business, what it did was it saved time. Cause I was mm-hmm. giving so much to people in the onboarding process. Now I just have this really clearly outlined process. And if, if they're not playing ball early on, I know that they're not going to be very interested and it saves me from wasting so yeah. much time on them, chasing them and following them around. So I think having a clear, clear sales process, um, and then all of the content that you do, where you're selling, you're not selling because you want to sell your stuff to them. You're selling because you want to help them. And in exchange, you're going to get money, but you want to help them. And I think making that the focus of everything.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you know, if, if you, if you guys listening, think about the answer that Annie just gave, a lot of it was about core structures in your business to support your client, Right? Yeah. Like treating the lead with care, having a conversation with care, setting up you know goal setting or whatever, like all of those things, like we hadn't she hadn't even talked about content until the last little bit. So it's like really understanding all of these strategies and foundations that you have to really support and nurture someone coming into your business and then making it very clear on your social platforms, on your website and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That is a an organic, beautiful way to sell that quite frankly, for a lot of business owners feels good. Like it doesn't have to be this like icky notion that it has to be hard CTAs and stuff like that, because exactly as Annie just described, it's all of that it's, it's the juice underneath it and then we make it shine through the content. But you can't, you know, what's this, What's this? I don't even know if it's a fucking saying, but it's like you can't make shit shiny, right? Like if you've got. Yeah, can't this, polish a turd. That, yeah, there, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> but if you've got these things here, selling them becomes very organic and very streamlined and easy because yeah. you've got just great shit underneath.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've had people kind of do my diagnostic calls and then, literally just from that, from this free diagnostic call that we do very early on, they've messaged me and they've been like, I've made three extra sales based on what we're talking about. So giving people that value, if for whatever reason, let's say this client then just didn't have the money or they got sick or someone died close to them and they couldn't come on board as a client, I've still shown them how helpful Mm -hmm. I can be. I've shown them that I'm doing ethical sales and I'm really, really Mm -hmm. am trying to help. I've given them a sample of what what the um, working with me will be like, Mm. and they can then go and tell five of their friends Mm. how positive this experience was. Um, and also to speak a language that a lot of strength coaches like by having this sales process, you've got, it's like giving someone a strength program. Mm. It might be effective. It might not, but at least you've got something to measure. Mm. If you get someone to, if you give someone a diet plan, a meal plan or a macro plan, you now can have something that you can measure your results against. So it's not like you're just like shooting in the dark, you know, okay, well I'm still this implementing a sales process hasn't increased my conversion rate, but at least now I can see where the conversion is falling off. Mm
0: -hmm. And then if
1: you find that people are falling off, you know, if you get them on a sales call and you know, hundred percent, that's pretty much going to be like a 95 to hundred percent success rate then your goal is to get them on the sales call. Figure out what's stopping people from getting on the sales call and try and push people towards that. Mm. So, it's it's a really measurable process that you can use. And then you can integrate content into that and use content to support different stages of that sales yeah. process.
0: I think that, I think that that little bundle up that we've just discussed is something that is just not discussed enough. It's yeah. like business owners just thinking it's all about you know, what you're doing on Canva that you're about to put on Instagram. It's not just about that. That is the icing on the cake from very beautiful foundations. And you can't, you know, you can't sell when you've got all this crappy shit underneath. So I love that so, so much. Um, I want to kind of wrap up. um, I could speak to you all fucking day. You're a bloody queen. You're so, oh, I just love listening to you. I want to kind of, um, as we finish up this episode, I want to just kind of get straight into your brain with some shit that you see that is like, guys, clean this up. (laughs) Like, (laughs) What's a few things that you see that you're just like, what a faux pas when it comes to writing content? And what, like, how could someone kind of shift that?
1: Hmm. Okay. So this is just, this is just a purely like English brain, like language brain person's um you know like I said before not everyone actually was the top of their class in English and I understand that I but feel like you're I think like dicing it out because you're gonna like unleash on someone <laughs> well it's just like bad grammar and I and I know that this is there's a whole conversation around how this is like there's like a classism thing behind this and I really hesitate like if my friends post something with bad grammar I'm like whatever that's just you are yeah. who you are like I said my dad was a brilliant doctor and he couldn't spell to save himself. And he relied on the fact that it was doctors writing and nobody could actually read it because it wasn't the right spelling. But, um, if you're running a business Mm. at the very least, people need to understand what you're saying. Mm. And there's so many times when I've seen people and I'm like, I can read between the lines and I've had a conversation with you about this. So I know what you're trying to say here, but it's not quite coming across because the grammar's not there. You know, those, those memes of like the things where commas matter. And it's like, um, you know, like insulting someone versus saying a very benign statement just based <laughs> on where they place the comma. It's things like this. yeah. Um, and I think that's that's one of the big ones is at the end of the day, people need to read and understand. If you're writing the words, that's great, but people need to understand it. Yeah. That said, on the other side of that, I've seen some people who are so perfectionist that they focus too much on that stuff and they don't actually get the message across. And I've seen some people with the worst grammar in the world make the most sales because mm. they somehow tapped into that message. So I think that there's two sides of that. Um, similarly, there's graphic stuff. Like if you're writing light with a light background with light colors, like people just can't read it. Yeah. So you need to have a basic enough understanding of graphics, fonts, colors, and hierarchy. Um understand how people actually read things. Um, what else? Hmm. Making themselves the hero. That's another example. I think that's just the classic, like, you know, how they do those starter packs, um, memes on social media, (laughs) like the, I can't, I'm a coach, but I just can't seem to make sales. Starter pack is like (laughs) making themselves the hero of the story, taking heaps of photos. selfies. And have you done a meme about that? I have not. I have not. It's kind of hard to capture making themselves the hero of the story in a, in a meme. Oh but no, that would be so good. Yeah. Yeah. Selling, um, focusing too much on their credentials. Yeah. Like it's, it's great that you've got a degree. It's great that you've got, um, you know, these qualifications and that's important. So when we're talking about the story brand stuff before, like as the guide, you need to show empathy and authority. So Mm -hmm. your degree expresses authority and your bodybuilding physique expresses authority and your um, main character energy expresses authority, but it needs to be balanced out with empathy to your people. Um, I would say another really big faux pas, and this is just from talking to people, is when I say, okay, who are we specifically targeting this to? They say, everyone, I don't want to narrow down. I don't want to exclude people out. And it's like, okay, be prepared for the most generic piece of content ever. Like <laughs> this is you're going on. to be generic. Yeah. This is going to be a piece of government, you know, if you read the government website, that's what it's going to sound government. like because yeah. they're writing to everyone. So that's another big one that I've seen. Um, thinking that just posting up stuff about yourself is enough. Yeah. Like, oh, well, I need to post content, so I'm just going to post up stuff about myself. Unless you're very specific to your target market, you know, like me posting up stuff about training with Ella's Danlos syndrome, actually, is an example of yeah. of, of speaking yeah, yeah. to that that audience. But just posting up about yourself, I think, is um, it can it can come across as a little bit, especially within the influencer space, is it, it can come across as a little bit um, insensitive sometimes. Yeah. Um, I guess the other big one is, and this is not really a mistake that people make. Um, I'm not really someone who goes out and looks and thinks, Oh, that's terrible. Mm. Oh, that person's stuffing (laughs) it up. Um, I guess, I guess two more. One of them is really feeling like you need to feed the algorithm. So take Uh, photos with less clothing, you know, mm. um, be sexier, be more, you know, like people talking about feminine and masculine energy, like stepping it. I just, I hate Uh, that stuff. Like, I can't stand it. Um, Just be you, know who you are and present that. Mm. Um, You, if you don't feel comfortable taking your clothes off to do a photo shoot, you don't have to, that's actually a normal thing to feel. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people out there who won't feel comfortable going with a coach who takes those kinds of photos and that's not to say that those people who take clothes off for a photo shoot are doing anything wrong because I do not feel like that at all. I don't feel like you need to be different because other people are doing something and the algorithm favors that kind of stuff. You know, the algorithm favors people being more outrageous, people being louder, people being um, more catchy, but that doesn't necessarily lead to sales. So don't Mm -hmm. focus too much on the algorithm. Um, and then I guess the last point as well is probably on the flip side of that people thinking content is being an influencer. Um, a lot of coaches who I talk to, we kind of, um, dig deeper on what they're feeling and thinking. And it kind of comes out at some point that they have this particular influencer who they hate and they just, you know, Mm. by no means want to sound or appear like them and I even had it with recently with a client of mine. It was a husband and wife, and the guy kind of said, oh, this is what I don't want to sound like. And the wife said, are you kidding me? You sound nothing like him. You're nothing like that person. Yeah. And I'm like, it's funny. We all have that person who yeah. people probably associate, would never associate us with, who we're like, I just don't want to sound yeah. like this person. Um, and then our brains leap to because this person posts content that I don't like, therefore if I post content, it's just going to sound like this person. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's when we come back to these fundamentals. Know who you're helping. Mm. Understand that your content is helping someone. You know, ask the question, if I disappeared, who would miss me? Mm -hmm. People need to miss you. People need to miss the content that you're producing. And if you think about accounts that you really like, that you love following, and you think about if they disappeared would I miss them? And not the kind of, not the kind of pages that you look up just because you want to kick, because you like to (laughs) laugh at them or whatever, but the kind of pages who you genuinely get something from, if they disappeared, you'd probably miss them. Now, what is it about them that you love? Yeah. Reverse engineer that and then apply that to your content.
0: Oh, that fucking hell. That is so valuable. And it's like, I just think if I think about the concepts that we've talked about and the little tangents that we've been on, it's like overlapping, overlapping, mingling in together because there is just, there's so many misconceptions around content. But then when you listen to Annie and you hear you, Queen, just talking about all of these fundamentals about marketing and how this plays into content, like it's, we've got the fitness industry on one token, which is, so fancy, so you know, jazzy, so visual, so all of this kind of stuff. And then on the other side, we've got these things that just make sense from a common, like a, a common sense point of view. And it's just about bringing that middle ground and going, what, what is it that we need to do? Where is it that we need to live and lie to? help people to get our messaging out to stay in our most fullest expression and to do that over and over again and get the business objectives that we want to and it's like I feel like you've just streamlined so much and made them so palatable to understand because I do think that these concepts can be very confusing for business owners too yeah so I just want to thank you so fucking much and I'm like I I can't wait to watch this back actually myself and watch the transcript and write it down um but while we finish up I just want to is there is there kind of any last points that you might want to
1: share with the audience before we finish up today Um I guess I guess there's probably one point um you know we were talking about how to stand out online mm-hmm. without feeling weird or uncomfortable yeah. um and I guess the the thing I'd say to that is you know in this space a lot of influencers a lot of social media accounts are doing more outrageous things more crazy things to stand out you know and we're seeing it it's in some ways it can be quite disturbing you know like these people the the food wastage and the you know like the buying really expensive things just to destroy it and like oh I drove a Lamborghini into a brick wall on my Instagram account and it's 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 this space where you need to be Hotter, you need to edit your photos more, you need to do this more, you need to be louder, you need to be more outrageous. And people think that they need to yell louder to stand out. But I think it's not about being bigger or louder when it comes to being a business and doing it ethically and feeling okay with what you're doing. It's about making the quiet things make more sense. Mm. And it's about being quiet and and knowing who you not being quiet in the sense of you're not saying anything, but you know speaking to your audience so well that you don't have to yell because what you're saying just makes sense to them. Um, knowing them back to front and speaking to them in ways that really just make sense and cut through the noise, um, Mm -hmm. rather than feeling like you need to be this or need to be that. Like, I think we need to kind of get rid of that because it just feels gross. Yeah. Um, Wow. And it's
0: unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's such a beautiful point to end on is just, yeah, magnify what's true and amplify what's true to you and that might be louder, that might be quieter, that might be however it fucking presents, but amplify
1: yeah. what is, you know, what is the identity of you and and Yeah, your- and and say things that are so important and hit home so well that they could be heard even if they're whispered. Yeah.
0: Oof. Oh, thank you so much, Annie. I'm like, I just want to keep, I'm going to go and look at your Instagram and keep consuming <laughs> just so much value today. Um, before we end up, where can people find you? Have you got any offers? Where can they work with you? What are all the things?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um Like we said before, my Instagram is Muscle Writer. Uh, I do have a website, but I accidentally made a mistake on it recently and it all went down. So I'm in the process of getting that back up. Um, And in terms of offers, so one of the most popular um, services that I offer is the coaching strategy sessions uh, for content. So I'll get a coach who comes to me who wants to either build their online presence or they have trouble finding the target market they want to know how to build email lists. They want to know how to um, create the right words on their website. So we actually run through coaching sessions with that. So we do like four pack, eight pack, or twelve pack of the coaching sessions, the wow. strategy sessions. So that's probably the most popular offer because I'm guessing it would be a lot of coaches listening to this. Absolutely.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'll pop the details in the show notes, guys, so you can follow her. But. Like, I'm just like, I want to book one. I just love learning and, like, you know, it's you've just got a way. You've got a way of bringing all your knowledge from being in the industry, which is so unheard of in your space, like, I don't know very few fucking copywriters that have the the experience that you do. So, um, I know that everyone listening would have got so much value from that. So, thank you so much and I'll be in touch.
1: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and just as well, like I just had this thought of like, I've been here saying you need to tell people how to actually get in contact with you, but I forgot to do that myself. Um, <laughs> I So, as part of my sales process, I do actually have the free content diagnostic. So, what we do is we run through and we talk about what might be missing in your content at the moment. Even if someone comes to me and they say, hey, I need help building an email list. It's like, okay, well, let's look at your website. Let's look at your social media content. So that's completely free. So if anyone wants to do that, that's sort of the first step before we think about doing coaching sessions. Mm-hmm. And the idea of it is that you'll walk away with um, a whole heap of value, even if we don't end up working together. So if you want to do that, just send me a message on Instagram, Muscle I've also got my email, annie at musclerider.com beautiful that's valuable
0: guys jump on that um and keep following and keep sharing because she's doing some amazing stuff in the industry so thank you so much for being in our industry and cutting through the bullshit we definitely need it out here um
1: yeah yeah thank you and thank you so much for having me on it's been a really good podcast i'm excited i think it's going to be helping a lot of people hopefully i think so too i think so too thanks annie bye thank you bye